0: I have the sense that the United States has been waiting for kind of a successor to Julia Child in the sense that someone that is incredibly skilled and knowledgeable, but relatable and people fall in love with. And so I've always assist.
1: loved to cook since I was like such a little kid. So my, my nickname when I was a kid was Julia the Child. <laughs> and I, I think I've, I've outgrown that. This anyway, is the Food
2: no, Podcast, but... a Village Soundcast Network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. One of the many
1: reasons I love it so much is because it's something we all have in common, like everyone in this world. So the idea of capturing the stories behind food and just working on books, which is just something I just love doing, has always appealed to me.
2: I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Have you ever been so embarrassed that all you could do was turn, face a wall, and close your eyes? I completely understand. I was fresh out of cooking school working for the first time as a food stylist on the set of a live breakfast television show. The people behind a new chocolate cookbook had hired me to style a live interview and demonstration segment with the author. The author was an older, serious woman with a long list of cookbooks under her belt. Let's keep her nameless. My job was to have all the makings of a chocolate nest ready on the studio kitchen counter melted chocolate in a double boiler, chow mein noodles for the twigs, colored chocolate eggs, and a pile of small blown-up balloons. The author was going to show the host how to make these little chocolate nests. She would dip the balloons just halfway into the warm chocolate and then place them on the parchment-lined baking sheet and leave to harden. She would explain then when the chocolate had hardened, all you had to do was carefully pop the balloon, leaving a perfect little chocolate bowl, or nest, if you will. Meanwhile, the chocolate in the double boiler was getting hot. By the time the cameras were rolling and the set lights warmed up, the chocolate was bubbling. I watched as the author lowered the balloon into the shiny, bubbling chocolate, then suspended it over the double boiler so the excess chocolate could drip off. Then, without warning, the balloon popped. The guests let go, and that chocolate-covered balloon spun around the studio like a helicopter about to land, spraying chocolate over the host's canary-yellow blazer again, and again, and again. That's when I turned to face the wall and closed my eyes author and her people at the chocolate hq blame me for everything had i bought cheap balloons why did i let the chocolate get so hot all that kind of stuff but the host she laughed it off during the commercial break she took off the yellow jacket and she put on what she had worn to work that morning she said it all just made for great tv and that was my small victory life goes on the author went on to write many more cookbooks And funny things continue to happen on set. That's just the way life goes. Crying in the corner won't make it any better. But that strategic move, turning around, meant only a small chocolate splatter hit my backside. Today on the Food Podcast, I talk with Julia Tertian, food writer, cookbook author, and champion of home cooks. Her latest book, Small Victories, came out late last year, and home cooks all over have been celebrating their small victories in the kitchen ever since. It's all about small victories, finding your voice, and learning how to use your kitchen skills to make a difference in our communities. Oh, and a little cameo from food writer David Pryor's in there as well. Today, on the Food Podcast. Oh,
0: to a house.
2: I just found out that Julia Turshen's second book, Feed the Resistance, is coming out this October. Julia has co-authored countless books, with people from Gwyneth Paltrow to Jody Williams to Mario Batali, to name just a few. She calls these books her supporting roles. Her first solo book, Small Victories, came out late last fall, right before the U.S. election. And now Feed the Resistance is following hot on the heels of the last one. I haven't seen Feed the Resistance yet, but the site Food52 says it, quote, guides activist cooks through delicious economical recipes as well as ideas for supporting causes in the world of food politics, race relations, and other social issues. So what's an activist cook? It's Julia Tertian, a champion of home cooks, a cookbook author, a co-author, a wife, a community member, a volunteer, That's what an activist cook is. Julia didn't mention Feed the Resistance when we spoke last spring. She's modest and perhaps good at keeping secrets. But it's no surprise this book was in the works. Her Instagram feed is full of images cooking with her wife Grace and their friends Georgine and Diane at their local community kitchen in upstate New York. I love these posts, volunteers of all ages together, making food for homebound people in their community it's love and action, all woven together. Needless to say, I asked her to give me the backstory on these images, Georgine in her capris with pastel sweatshirts, and all of them just working away.
1: So every Thursday morning, Grace and I volunteer at a organization close to our home. We prepare meals for folks in our community who are homebound, usually with some kind of chronic illness. I used to volunteer a lot in New York with a very well-known organization called God's Love We Deliver, which is basically the same exact premise. At the place we go to now, we're very lucky to work with a small group of volunteers, including Georgine, who's 89, and Diane. They've been volunteering there for way longer than we have, and it's been so nice to get to know them, and I think, Volunteering is such a great way to connect with people in your community, not just the people you're serving, but also the people you're working with. They're just so full of energy and wisdom, and it it really feels like an honor to know them. I'm not really a morning person at all, and we have to wake up pretty early to get there, and our shift starts technically at 8, but it definitely starts before that, and we live a little far away, so we have to wake up early which normally would be something I would hate, but I look forward to it so much. (laughs) So, so much. It's the best part of my week, for sure.
2: I wondered aloud what Julia has learned from Georgine, because in my experience, the best stories come from when you're working away with others in the kitchen. Hashtag Georgine says. I want to know, what does Georgine say?
1: Oh my gosh, a ton. One is just that life, if you're very lucky, can be quite long, and volunteering and working with people of all different generations and ages is is so valuable. So just big picture, that's definitely something I've learned from her. But we're always asking her stories about when she was growing up and what her life was like and what her life is like now. And she's a very, very funny, very witty
2: woman and just puts a lot of things in great perspective. Okay, Julia is not going to cook and really tell. I respect that. I guess it's up to me to find my own Georgine in a nearby community kitchen. Start my own hashtag. There's also a nod to food activism at the end of Julia's first solo book, Small Victories. There you'll find two pages devoted to how readers can give back their time or money to help feed people in their communities. She calls the pages Give Back.
1: To me it's my favorite two pages in the book and kind of more important than any other recipe. That's this list of really tangible ways to give back loving to prepare food and share it with people is so tied to just a sense of hospitality and generosity. I'm one of many in the food world who cares a lot about giving back. The food world is a really generous industry I've found but it's not something I always see mentioned. I actually had not really seen it mentioned in you know other kind of like mainstream cookbooks and I thought it was really important. I love cookbook readers. They're interested in in cooking at home, and that's the best. And I think if you have access to the time to do that and the ingredients and all that kind of stuff, there's a good chance you might have a little bit of extra of those same resources to give back to your community. So I wanted to suggest some ways to do that because I think giving back is no different than cooking. I think once you kind of know a way to approach it, it's a very doable thing to do. That was a really important thing for me personally to include in Small Victories, and it's been really nice to hear some of the ways people do that in their own communities.
2: Julia has lots of eyes on her. She has a huge, loyal following. I wondered if sharing politics throughout the food world, when everyone is following along with your story on social media, is it hard? Are people expecting just cakes and sweet talk?
1: No. I think that food is about people and I think that politics are about people and I think it's all kind of the same and I think food is this unbelievably approachable thing and this very democratic thing, kind of lowercase d (laughs) and it's something we all share and to me it's one of the easiest ways to enter that conversation and so much about food and the food industry is political, you know, it's wrapped up in government policies from the way food is produced and distributed to what's served in public schools. And you know, these are truly political issues. I've never thought of myself that much as a political person, but I'm a person who cares a lot about people. So I've learned that that actually means I am a political person. Thinking about it from the lens of food makes it much more kind of easy to get into because it becomes about real things. It becomes about, you know, the choices in our grocery stores and the way that, you know, the people at the grocery stores are paid and um, and on and on and on. I think when you make it about real things and real people and it doesn't feel like these abstract ideas that I think we see the effects more and I think we also see the room and the power we have as citizens. I think it's also a really great area to realize how much power you have by how you can sort of vote with your um, you know, your pocket and where and how you choose to spend your money and What you support. And there are many ways to be an activist. Some are quiet and some are loud. And I honestly don't think it matters as long as you're moving somewhere
2: in some direction. Julia is a cheerleader, a teacher, a cook, a community member. It's pretty special when someone knows their purpose in life at such an early age. When I was a kid eating plain spaghetti with just a touch of butter and playing with the boys on my street, Julia was flipping through cookbooks for inspiration before she could even read. But before we get to that, let me tell you a little story on how this whole interview with Julia Tertian began. Last spring, I was in Ireland for Lit Fest, a food and literary festival in Ballymaloe House and cookery school. Attendees sit in on interviews with food writers, photographers, cookbook authors, restaurant owners. And we eat and forage for seaweed and meet interesting people and all that wonderful stuff. On the last day, I spotted the Australian food writer David Pryor on the grounds of the cookery school. Over the weekend, I had sat in on David Pryor interviewing London restaurant owner Sally Clark. He began the interview by sharing something a mutual friend had to say about Sally. Julia Tertian often does this as well when she interviews someone, especially when she used to host the podcast Radio Cherry Bomb. I knew I would be interviewing Julia when I returned from Ireland, so I thought it would be fun to kick things off with a quote as well. The only problem was the mutual friend thing. As I mentioned, Julia has played a supporting role to, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, Mario Batali, Jodie Williams of Bouvette. And then there's her wife, Grace Bonney, of the wildly successful site Design Sponge. Sadly, none are my personal friends. However, there I was standing next to David. I knew he knew Julia Tertian. David and I could totally become friends. So I did a crazy thing. I introduced myself and jumped into a car with him. Friendship speed dating in a Fiat 500. Friends don't usually have a microphone in hand, but never mind. David was fine with it. So this is how I started off my interview with Julia Tertian, with these words from David Pryor, contributing editor for Condé Nast Traveler, from the back of that little car, driving along the windy backroads of County Cork.
0: I have the sense that the United States has been waiting for kind of a successor to Julia Child in the sense that someone that is incredibly skilled and knowledgeable, but relatable, and people fall in love with, and you can't resist her. Julia feels to me in that same vein, someone that has that touch that feels both credible in the serious food world, but also that you don't feel intimidated by it. you know she's doing these little hacks or figuring out ways to make things easier that feel like they're full of integrity. And you know the way she just speaks is, is kind of soothing and the way her voice comes across on paper is is very unintimidating, but it's never dumbed down. That's what I like. It's simplified and it's kind of fun, but it's not dumbed down. And I think that's her. I mean she's only at the beginning of her contribution, right? I also think Small Victories is just a brilliant way to describe things. It's such an enticing pitch for a book, too.
2: Afterwards, there was a pause, and then... That is so kind. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Wow, I'm very blown away.
2: And you know what? He's not that far off. I will tell you
1: a funny little story. I've always loved to cook since I was like such a little kid. So my my nickname when I was a kid was Julia the child. <laughs> and I, I think I've I've outgrown that. Anyway, no, I'm just so blown away. That's so sweet. That means a lot. So thank you to
2: you and David. Julia the child. Who knew? Yes, Julia has been cooking since she was a little kid growing up in New York City. I don't mean cooking as in stealing the cookie dough like I did. I mean, pouring over cookbooks and watching thousands of hours, as she says, of food television.
1: When I was little, it was sort of right before the Food Network. So most of my cooking education was public television and old Julia Child tapes that my mom got me. And yeah, Julia Child was absolutely, continues to be one of my greatest teachers. And I am not alone in that. (laughs) I just think she was the most incredible teacher, and I think so fun to watch and so funny. And I think Nora Ephron's film really helped people understand just how truly funny she was and full of life. And, you know, she was a teacher and had authority, but she was also just so much fun. And I think food is incredibly fun. She was one of the people who really taught me that.
2: There's a grid of pictures facing the title page of Small Victories. In the pictures is a little girl. She's cooking, pouring tea, stirring batter, Julia says some people think it's her daughter, but no, it's Julia the child, the young Julia Tertian. Proof of her passion from that early age. Those were from what was to be potentially my first cookbook
1: when I was really little. I think I'm maybe about six in those photographs. My mom actually had this idea for this book called Tea with Julia, and it was going to be all these tea parties. I was really into like tea sandwiches (laughs) at that age. I thought they were really fun to make and my grandmother is a iced tea connoisseur, I guess. So anyway, so we were sort of putting together all these ideas and my mom had um, a family friend take those pictures and we put together this book proposal. And anyway, the book never happened, but those pictures from the proposal lasted so I was able to use them in small victories, which was
2: a really nice kind of full circle. So Julia the Child started her career early on, and now, like Julia Child, she's a great teacher. She can distill a seemingly complicated recipe down to an approachable method. Her tone is never a slap with a wooden spoon. It is a warm hug that says, let's not do it the hard way. Let's do it the easy, fun way, and then let's celebrate the victory. Her way is almost always a feeling as much as an approach a feeling of being welcome in the kitchen, encouraged to try, to experiment, to make mistakes. I think this part is worth repeating. I've been cooking since I was a really
1: little kid, and I learned to cook first through flipping through cookbooks before I could really even read, just looking at the pictures and kind of absorbing the feeling of the food on the page.
2: Observing the feeling of the food. We all know what this means, how a food image makes us feel, but it's really hard to achieve. Maybe it's a scene around a table, one that invites you in and inspires you to cook for others. From the cookbook making side of things, I think the only way to create that feeling is by just being honest, by telling your story. It seems as though Julia Tertian knew this as a kid. The first cookbook I wrote with my co-author Pippa Cuthbert was all about juicing. Neither of us were particularly juice passionate at the time. We were a nutritionist and a food writer combined together with a desire to make a cookbook. We pitched ideas to publishers, and they liked us, but not our ideas, so we had to do what they asked. So we just did what they asked. We wrote a juice book. However, with the understanding that we could make it our own. We wrote personal introductions to each recipe, sharing a story or a thought, or whatever we thought added a little something to the recipe. This template set a tone for the books that followed, and thank goodness, because what's the fun in writing out a recipe full of measured precision if you can't add a little personality to it? And isn't personality the unique thing that sets a book apart?
1: If you walk into any bookstore and look at the cookbook section, it's overwhelming. And there's so much really good material out there. And I've always felt, and I this is advice I've given to people I've worked with, and it's advice that I try to take myself. I think that you should put out work that only you can put out, and only put out stories that only you can tell.
2: And in order to tell a good food story, you have to live. Meet your neighbors, cook, celebrate victories, big and small. through it all, try to ignore all the social media noise. Stick to your story.
1: I think it's easy these days to kind of get wrapped up in that kind of stuff. I don't really think about any of that. I just think about sharing stories. End of story. The only thing that I try to be really true to is just being true to myself and my voice and not trying to imitate or mimic anyone else because the only person whose story I can really be the owner of is my own. So I try to do that
2: as much as I can. Julia grew up in a print media family. Words on the page, they come naturally to her.
1: Both my parents worked in magazines for a really long time. My mom was at Comedy Nast for about 25 years. Both my parents always freelanced working on books and um, just art direction and graphic design and all that kind of stuff. So I absolutely grew up in a house that print media has always been a really important thing. <laughs> and working on cookbooks is something I feel I've been preparing for since before I was born.
2: Back in episode eight, I told a story of working in a dark, dank bar when I was 19. After that experience, I knew I would never work at night again. It was a weird revelation, but one that shaped my life in food. It meant being a chef was basically out. And besides, my cousin Betsy ran a cooking school out of her house in London. In the daytime, there were other ways. And those other ways open up more ways.
1: Yeah, it was funny because since I was always into food, I mean, not into it, just completely obsessed and passionate and guided by it. So the assumption was I would go to culinary school and I'd open a restaurant. That's what my parents thought. That's what my extended family and friends thought. I'm lucky that I grew up in a home and a family that was so supportive of this thing that I was really passionate about. And when I was in high school and it was time to think about what happens after I graduate, my parents were awesome and they were like, let's go look at all the culinary schools and figure out where you want to go. And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to study writing and I just want to work on books. And I never had any aspiration to work in restaurants. And that kind of very linear path towards food was not something I was interested in. And food is this huge, huge subject and there's so much you can do in it one of the many reasons I love it so much is because it's something we all have in common like everyone in this world so the idea of capturing the stories behind food and just working on books which is just something I just love doing has always appealed to me so I took the super straightforward route to working in food which was to study poetry <laughs> um, I actually think it's it was a really useful education because learning to really appreciate poetry and even write it really helped me in my recipe writing because I have to write in this very economic format and it has to be very descriptive and informative but, you know, not go on forever so anyway, that's how I justify my college degree
2: <laughs> There's a section called Menu Suggestions in Small Victories with menu ideas like dinner if you're a new cook or when it's too hot to cook dinner inside movie night on the couch and my favorite a meal to get someone to marry you Flutes of Prosecco with a splash of Aperol, Julia's Caesar, spaghetti with turkey and ricotta meatballs, and ice cream. I think that's poetry. Julia met her wife, Grace Online, more or less.
1: We essentially met on the internet, because Grace runs a great site called Design Sponge that I had been a fan of. Grace wrote this really wonderful,
2: short and sweet coming out post, and I wrote her a note, and that was kind of that. Julia was born and raised in New York City until elementary school when her family moved to the suburbs, but she turned right back around for college. And swore
1: I would never leave the island of Manhattan. Then I met my wife and fell in love with her, and she lived in Brooklyn, so I moved there.
2: And those turkey and ricotta meatballs? They sealed the deal.
1: That was the first thing I cooked for Grace. That worked for us, so I highly recommend it. No guarantees, but I think I can't hurt. It's a pretty foolproof menu.
2: I've made her turkey and ricotta meatballs from Small Victories so many times. The ricotta makes them light and fluffy. The sauce is simple and so good. And the little tips like line the baking sheet with foil before you mix the meatballs with your hands. How many times have I tried to open the tin foil drawer with my elbow? And the spin-offs for the recipe, something she does for every recipe in the book, like use sausage meat instead of turkey, or for Moroccan riff, try ground lamb and feta with raisins and pine nuts. Put a cinnamon stick in the tomato sauce. The recipe, like Julia, is just so friendly, helpful, celebratory, but down to earth. And just how down to earth is Julia? Her mom is an artist and a speaker, and a lot of her artwork is about chairs. So I asked Julia what her favorite chair is in her house.
1: so funny, because right now, because we're getting to do this over Skype, I am in bed, (laughs) and so that immediately to me is my answer, (laughs) that my favorite chair is getting to lay in bed. Linen sheets? They're kind of muddy dog prints, but I think that makes them even
2: better. So there you go. Even an activist cook who started a business at 13 and starred and co-starred in countless cookbooks by the age of 32, likes a little cozy time in bed, cuddled with pets. The whole scene is as comforting as her recipes. But what was Julia's biggest culinary disaster?
1: I've put hot broth and vegetables that was about to become a pureed soup into a blender and the top wasn't on securely and there was soup on the ceiling. So I've done that, (laughs) but nothing a sponge can't help with.
2: Thanks to Julia Tertian for holding our hands in the kitchen, for sharing her story and teaching us how we can be food activists. You can find her books and links to writing at juliatertian.com. And special thanks to David Pryor for inviting me to jump into his car and chat about Julia Tertian. You can find his details and all the episode info in the show notes on lindseycameronwilson.ca forward slash the food podcast. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the food podcast. I would love to hear from you. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.